0: As holy host of Have a Blessed Gay in the country of the USA, I welcome you most regally. But we've got to verify the votes legally to see, to see if, Trump if Trump is being fraudulently kicked out by crazy-ass liberals who want justice for okay, damn near definitely everybody. Okay, not fraud. Trump is undeniably and reliably kicked the fuck out. Of the office, okay. As Pennsylvania, I must affirm I thoroughly examined the vote, and he's not only merely fired, he's really most sincerely fired. Then this is a day of independence for all Americans and their descendants. Yes. Let the joyous news be spread The wicked old Trump's votes are not ahead Ding dong, the orange is gone Witch old orange, the wicked orange Ding dong, the wicked orange is gone Wake up, the a premises You're not a shit, a racist Wake up, the wicked orange is gone We can go be a dictator or war Like Russia or China the damage kill the virus first female vpo Damn it, I am so happy. Welcome to episode 26 of Have a Blessed Gay, your weekly spiritual comedy podcast. I am your holy host, Tyler Martin. And what a week we've had! A stressful, hernia inducing week we have had. <laughs> But hey, we prevailed, baby, and Joe Biden and Kamala Harris will be the new prez and vice prez of the U.S. of motherfucking A. You know, four years ago when Trump won the election, I was in shock. I was angry, confused, unsettled, anxious, and extremely sad. The day he won, the skies were literally dark here in New York City. Even the universe couldn't hide its disappointment. And there was a palpable sadness in the air. It was a day that I will always remember. People openly sobbing in the subway and on the streets. Protests beginning. And a sense of a wounded community here in the city. All dazed and totally beaten by the news. In these last four years have been worse than I even imagined. And I imagined a huge shit show. but his term as president definitely topped my expectations, ascending into levels above bullshit I didn't even know existed. However, this last Friday, November 11th, as I stood in the window of my New York City apartment, applause cheers and honking erupted as the news of Biden and Harris winning the election swept over the city. The sun was out, the wind calm. It was an absolutely gorgeous day. And across the street, I noticed one of my favorite trees finally changing colors. Signifying change. I quickly pulled out my phone to record the joyous celebration. And here is the audio I heard from my window when the news broke out. Now let this not fool anyone though. Please don't be a dumbass who believes the hard work is over. With Trump, we were pulled underwater, not able to breathe, much less run forward. And now, yeah, we can at least breathe, start to move forward again. But it doesn't mean we don't have racism, hate, or bigotry anymore. Biden and Harris won, but it was way too damn close of a race. And that means that hate is strong here in this country. So first of all, be safe, and second, use the celebration to thrust us forward, mend and heal the damage done, and work to make our country better. And to Donald Trump, I say a truly heartfelt, fuck you. Oh, and you're fired. As the country continues to be heated, it is also important for us to take time for ourselves We cannot fight if we are weak. So do things you love. Feed your mind and soul so you can make positive changes. Something I enjoy is religion and spirituality, if you didn't already know. So when I was given an advanced copy of a new book by Rachel Mann, I was stoked to read it. The book is called The Gospel of Eve and was just released October 29th. Her debut novel follows a group of college students as they begin to experiment with rituals in order to feel closer to the divine. Sounds fun, right? Obviously, I was super into the subject matter, but also super into the author because Rachel Mann is such a badass. Rachel is a priest, poet, writer, and broadcaster based in Manchester, UK. Author of 11 books, her writing has been shortlisted in the International Michael Ramsey Prize for Theology and highly commended in the Ford Poetry Prizes. Her best-selling memoir of growing up trans called Dazzling Darkness has just come out in a second edition. And her new book, The Gospel of Eve, published in hardback, Kindle, and audiobook, is available wherever books are sold. So definitely check it out if you're interested after our convo. I had an absolute blast talking with Rachel, and we got in pretty deep, y'all. Including the idea of rebelling within religion, what a calling is, and the actual real-life Gospel of Eve. Uh yeah, there was an actual gospel called the Gospel of Eve and get this, it was considered for the New Testament when it was being put together, but it didn't quite make the cut. And in our convo, you shall find out why it was most likely not included. It's sketchy and juicy. But before we jump in, I do want to talk house real quick. As we approach the holidays, I am going to be going down to one episode every other week. So, bi-weekly through the end of the year. You will still get your spiritual comedy fill, no worries. It'll just be coming now bi-weekly for a few weeks. If you do like this podcast and you've been on this journey with us, make sure you are subscribed and please do quickly rate and leave a glowing review. It's super fast, it's free, and it really helps this podcast out. And know that I will very much appreciate it. All right, done and done. So now, without any further ado, relax yourself, give yourself a moment to breathe, set aside any anxiety, forget about that giant pimple on your face, and enjoy this wonderful conversation with Rachel Mann. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp, the leading provider of online counseling. Y'all, the world is crazy and mental health is important. Some might even call it spiritual. I personally use BetterHelp myself and absolutely love what they're doing. BetterHelp makes professional counseling accessible, affordable, and convenient. So if you're struggling emotionally, battling anxiety, or you can't stop crying after an episode of Queer Eye, BetterHelp can be there for you anytime, anywhere. Go to my personal link at BetterHelp.com help.com slash gay to check it out and get what 10% off the best part is you don't even have to leave your house they offer four ways to speak with a licensed counselor video calls phone calls real-time chat and direct messaging all counselors have been qualified and certified by their state's professional board In other words, you're not talking to a lobster dressed in human clothes. They're legit. All you gotta do is go to my link at BetterHelp.com slash Blessed Gay and begin the questionnaire to match you with a therapist who is uniquely qualified to serve your needs. How sexy! It's super duper easy and you're matched within 24 hours or less. BetterHelp has a monthly subscription rather than paying per session, which makes it cheaper. But if finances are still a concern, financial aid is available for those who qualify. Get counseling, improve your life, and help this podcast out in the process by going to betterhelp.com slash blessed gay. Sign up today and get 10% off. That's betterhelp.com slash blessed gay. Rachel Mann, welcome to Have a Blessed Gay.
1: <laughs> it's great to be with you, Tyler. I mean, oh my goodness, the wonders of technology across the uh, the the Atlantic. So wonderful to be with you.
0: I am so happy to have you here, and I just want to get into it. Tell us who you are and what the hell you do.
1: Okay, so yes, uh, my name is Rachel, Rachel Mann. I am a an Anglican, or as you would say in the States, Episcopal priest. Um, I am based in Manchester. I'm also a writer and a poet. I've written 11 books, um, including a novel called The Gospel of Eve, which has just come out. And for what it's worth, um, I am also um, reasonably prominent in the UK as an LGBT activist. I'm an out trans woman. And I um, am passionate about extending inclusion in the churches, in the UK, and in UK society.
0: You know, you really should take a course on productivity. You don't do enough. That's really what I got from that, is that you're just not quite doing enough stuff.
1: I just, I don't <laughs> sleep, Tyler. That's my thing. And, you know, I've reached a point where actually, I, you know, I turned 50 this year, which is, oh my gosh, that was a big date and I you know my birthday was just before we went into lockdown here and i got had an amazing birthday but I am aware you know as I enter what is my sixth decade it's probably time to slow down and take things a bit more considered but you know hey I I just everything feels like gift so I just want to fill it with gifted things and lovely things
0: Well, you also gift your gifts to other people, including your debut novel, The Gospel of Eve, which was just released on October 29th. Congratulations. That is so exciting. You have written several nonfiction books, 11, like you said, but this is your first fiction. What inspired you to write a fictional work? Why this story? (laughs) (laughs)
1: It's a good question. Uh, The truth is that I convinced myself years ago now, probably a decade ago, that I couldn't write fiction. Just just wasn't me. And that I just didn't have the level of concentration to write a 90,000-word thing. And so part of the motivation for getting into writing fiction was, let's see if I can do it. Um, Where this really sprung from is um should i put it this way tyler it, it, it this this novel's genesis lies in my three favorite things sex death and religion um which which is actually the same thing in so many ways that that sex and death and religion they are all about emptying yourself they you know they are all about limit and Some characters, I guess, walked out off the page from me as I was doing some sketches, and I found a setting, and the key thing was finding this setting for the novel, which is this seminary, this theological college in the middle of nowhere, just outside of Oxford, and that created this intense space for these intense people to start doing intense things to one another.
0: (laughs) One of my absolute favourite lines in the book is when Kit says... I have long believed that those who seek to become priests of whatever tradition are people who consciously or unconsciously wish to be set apart. Okay, now <laughs> I intensely relate to that sentiment. I mean, just the fact of having this podcast suggests that I relate to that sentiment. I really enjoy being a rebel and religion is a great place for a rebellion. I'm curious though, do you also relate to that sentiment? well, <laughs> how and why did you get involved in the church?
1: Well, goodness me, there's a question with a whole we can go down any number of routes with that. I mean I am you know the thing is is it's hilarious in one sense that I'm ordained that 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 I. Um, am a person of faith. I mean, I take it in one sense, as it's a sign of God's sense of humour, but that there is a God at all that I'm sat here wearing a dog collar and serving my local community um, because I am an instinctive rebel. I'm someone who doesn't want to follow the herd, the crowd. I don't want to follow orders. I want to do my own thing. And yet one of the things that's really Kind of ironic. It's one of the ironies at the heart of ordain ministry is that, in one sense, you have to be obedient. You know, it is a call to obedience. It is actually saying, "I am going to listen to God's voice and I'm going to follow it." And yet, and here's the irony: there is this sense of, yeah, you know, finding the the wriggle room in the midst of that. Um, a friend of mine <laughs> described it as finding the kink in God um you know and there's just this sense in which um i'm someone who uh often wants to resist the straight line you know the the route one the the direct route um and in following the vocation it's taken me away from all sorts of things i would have thought i was going to do with my life whether as an academic or as a musician um but somehow I've found my space within it, my place within it, because, you know, I'm really boring, you know, and people think, oh, God, how can you be boring? If you write something, you know, like the Gospel of Eve. I am quite boring in the sense that I just, um, I do quite like having set routines and that, you know, being an Episcopal priest, you know, it's the same every week, same service, basically. And being in a parish, you see the same people, but sometimes it's only in the routine. It's only in those straight lines that you discover the strangeness, the uniqueness of people, the uniqueness of yourself. So it's it's, it's kind of paradoxical, really.
0: Mm, that is a great way to look at it. It makes a lot of sense to me in my journey. Uh, something within your book, talking about discovery, something I really enjoyed about it was the blending of real historical references with a fictional story. The Gospel of Eve was and is a real text, a real gospel that was considered for the New Testament. And is now said to be part of the New Testament Apocrypha, which, okay, that word is so interesting. When I was researching this stuff, I learned that the word Apocrypha originally meant a text too sacred and secret to be in everyone's hands. Mm -hmm. So like a text only meant for priestly or holy people to view because it would be too much for the average person. However, today, most people use the word Apocrypha with a negative connotation, referencing heretical works of unknown authorship or of doubtful origin. Yes. I found that very fascinating how that word has changed over time. Would you tell us what the Gospel of Eve was slash is, why it is part of the Apocrypha, and what the hell happened to it?
1: Well, I mean, in one sense, the answer is to say nobody fully knows. And that's part of the incredible thing about the Gospel of Eve, because it's it's one of the great lost works. I mean, all we have are one or two fragments, these references in other people's uh, writings, these quotes. But what we know about it is that it was a text written probably within, I don't know, a hundred years of of Christ's death and resurrection so it's quite an early text maybe within the first 200 years and it was a text which was seen as a, a text of power a text that was impossible consideration for the Gospels for the New Testament and then it just disappeared it's just gone and I mean, just to so for your, your listeners, because they might be thinking, gosh, what's going on here? It's just worth saying, for the first three hundred years of Christianity, texts came in and out of fashion. And uh, this concept of canon, this idea that there is this settled canon, this settled set of books, which is what is it, 24, 25 books in the New Testament, that expanded and shrunk depending on the community. So there are texts like the Shepherd of Hermas or the Didache, which are fully extant. They exist now, or the Gospel of Thomas or the Gospel of Judas. And they had a bit of traction in some communities, but then over time got marginalised, and the Gospel of Eve is one of those texts which, well, you know, I don't want to spoil things for (laughs) potential readers, but is potentially quite explosive because so much of Christianity is seen as having such a downer on the body and on the flesh and on sex and self-expression. But it's suggested that the Gospel of Eve was precisely a text which was permissive and created a very permissive vision of who Jesus was. Now, you can imagine, <laughs> if you're quite conservative, that's probably not going to go down well. So, um, maybe that's why it's gone, because people were horrified by it. Um, um, obviously, you know, again, one of the things that's at stake in the novel is, is it still out there? Can it be found? And if so, what would it do to Christianity?
0: I have so many thoughts and questions about it, and I really want it to exist in the world. I want so badly to know that someone has it, that a group of people have it, that they have access to it, that it just exists somewhere in the world and that sometime it'll come out again. I just I really want to know that.
1: Well, it's, it's one of those things that um, that, you know, I, I, I'm i not into Conspiracy theories, really. I mean, they just they just don't energize me, and I think that they they just take too much energy to explain, to you know, too little. But it, it, you you know, those people who you remember the the Da Vinci Code and all of that, you know, back Dan Brown, and it's you know, it's the sort of thing that you can imagine that in that conspiracy world, people are saying, "Yeah, I bet the Vatican has got a copy of two, or two of it, and is is keeping it away from the public." What's much more likely to happen, Tyler, is that someone's going to do an archaeological ex- excavation somewhere um you know jordan israel palestine and dig something up you know i could see that ha- or you know that whole area around you know what we would now call turkey and greece you know those were early uh, christian communities and someone's probably kept a bit of papyrus somewhere they put it in a pot and it's buried underground so I mean goodness you know water's just been found on the moon so you know let's never say never to things being found you know?
0: that is very very true we don't know a lot we don't <laughs> that's right well getting back to your book there is a through line within that really stood out to me it's the idea that women have historically and continue to have a difficult time within Catholicism why did you choose to highlight this topic so heavily in your book?
1: I mean, partly it's because it's something which energizes me and I'm passionate about. Um, I'm, in a very modest way, a, a feminist theologian. Um, my PhD um, was, took a, a feminist approach to uh, poetry and the Bible. So it's something that really does energize me. But Hey, I think I've got a bit of, what's the phrase, skin in the game? You know, I've got some skin in the game here. I am a woman who is ordained in the Church of England. And in my church, um, whilst, you know, I absolutely feel, you know, fully respected and honoured as a priest, nonetheless, there are people in my church who don't want to recognise the holy orders. They might say it's legally true, that I'm ordained but they don't properly recognize my ordination as the the grace from God and so you know and that that does wind me up of course it winds me up um I mean, I say that as someone who's got great affection for a whole bunch of people who hold very traditional views but this thing about women being in the margins um it's It's one of the great themes, and you know let's not kid ourselves even in you know the most liberal societies, the most advanced societies of which we might say the u s or the u k are both We both know that women and l g b t people people of color global majority people are still treated as second class, and if that You know, if that doesn't sort of crank us up and we don't want to talk about that, then I think we're doing something wrong. Certainly for me, as a Christian who's progressive and is into social justice and wants things to be right, it matters.
0: What then do you think the role of the church has to play within social justice?
1: (laughs) Oh, my goodness. There's a question. Um, I mean, in one sense um and i know there'll be you know pushback from some of my co-religionists on this in one sense if if the church isn't seeking to model social justice at its very core then it's just not really being the church now and I, what i mean by that is that at its very heart is a story of love you know it's a story of love that says you know this love will not let us or this planet or the universe go until such time as that love has been brought to its complete fulfillment. Now, you know, social justice is is a face of love. You know, love isn't just a sort of sloppy, sentimental thing. It's something that's incredibly practical. It changes the world. So if the church ain't involved in the search for justice, then it's kind of lost its way, really, I think.
0: I could not agree more. And to spin off of that, focusing on love within the book when faced with some horrors and i will leave it at that vague for anyone who's going to read it kit says i didn't know what one human could do to another in the name of god's love this sentence really stood out to me even out of the book's context because there is so much hate so much discrimination so much bigotry executed in the name of a god and a theme in your book something that kid and her friends struggle with is a type of superiority when it comes to faith their spirituality their religion and eventually their practices which lead to unhealthy and harmful acts would you talk about that drive that urge to feel the most holy the most <laughs> reverent and how people even if that means hurting others some will be like, "Yeah, so be it." And as you've studied and been a part of such an old and strong religion, I'm sure you have encountered this type of superiority quite a bit.
1: Oh gosh, oh God. I mean, let's just start there. I mean that superiority. I mean it's almost you know it's one of the things that you know I you know, I've spoken passionately, haven't I about. Well, if your religion's about love and you're not about social justice, you might as well stop. Well, one of the things that draws me closest to saying I've got to get out, I've got to, you know, I this is not right for me. Is the depth to which violence masquerading as love is ingrained in the institution. And that sense of. You know, there's some stuff that's been in the UK news for the past few years now regarding. Uh, the, the use of religious practices as a way of abusing um, adults and children. And, you know, I don't want to go into the details of that specifically or specific cases. You know, one of the narratives that's emerged with that, and I think one of the influences on the, the book, is when people are saying they will say things to those that they want to use and abuse. Look, if we do this, we will be holier. We will be closer to God. We will be better than others and we'll be more devoted servants and it's such a temptation, you know, it's such a temptation for anyone. This is why, you know, coming back to this thing about people who want to be ordained, who want to wear dog collars, want to be set apart. I think at its best, that's not true. You know, there's a sense in which that's not true, that it's actually being set free to serve. That's the dream, but the thing is, is as soon as you start wearing a different uniform, as soon as people start deferring to you, and there's a huge deference issue in the UK, you know, because we have that those sort of echelons, class is a big thing here. You know, people start saying, "Oh, Canon," or "Oh, Doctor," or "Oh, Oh Mother," or "Oh, Father," and you can start to believe your own hype and thinking. I'm in for that. You know, I'm up for that. And what you absolutely put your nail on, and your, your, the finger on, is that in the novel, one of the, the very worst sins of, of the central characters is that they actually think they're doing something good. You know, and they, they belong to that horrifying tradition of people going back to the earliest days who would persecute heretics, who would burn people at the stake and say, you know, I'm doing this for your sake and that's just this monstrous bullying thing it's just the worst uh, of religious abuse and you know I, I just I don't trust any Christian or any person of faith who says oh yeah but that's nothing to do with us that's not part of that well it's part of the tradition to which I belong and it's so bleak that if I didn't catch glimpses of of a more generous glory of a deeper kindness. I would have to walk away. I couldn't do what I do.
0: I mean, even myself, I have been elevated in status in certain churches just because I have been related to the minister. (laughs) So... I totally get that. And I have spoken about it on here, I absolutely cannot stand the superstar, rock star kind of minister mentality that we have in abundance in America at least. And actually an interesting question for you, how then can we combat that misguided theology? Where is the difference? Is it, is it found in the love that you're speaking of? Is that the difference?
1: I think I think it's I think there's an inner and an outer I mean I I haven't got all the answers here and gosh you know I mean I was thinking only the other other day that about sort of a situation where a few years back where it would have been so tempting <laughs> for me to start playing the sort of you know rock star pasta thing um but the I think the inner thing is has got to be to do with seeking after self-awareness I mean I've got one of my tattoos. Um, on my arm. It's Inosce Te Ipsum, which is a, a Latin translation of know yourself. And I have it there where I can see it constantly because it's so tempting not to be myself, to know myself. And I think to just keep that conversation going, not just with God, but with other people who just won't buy your, 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 your bull you know, you're absolute rubbish, you know, st- so that you don't believe the myth of yourself. And I think that's a really, really difficult and challenging discipline. And, and you know, Kit, Kitty in the novel, she, she at times has these glimpses, which I find, you know, someone who wrote the novel are kind of frustrating because I think, oh gosh, you're almost there, you almost see it. And then she doesn't, she doesn't, and then she's like oh god she's getting in this even deeper the outer thing and maybe this is very much a british thing you know because organized religion in the uk for the most part is in quite significant decline in terms of numbers and i just say there's nothing like 15 years of 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 ministry in the church to make you humble in the sense that, yeah, you know, you sort of, you know, you'll have people who think you're amazing, but then you look around and you think, you know, and I, there have been times, it doesn't apply where I currently am, but there have been situations where I've served and, you know, everything just seems to go to dust. And you think, you know, oh, that I'm, you know, I I need to know that it's not about me. And now, you know, if you're Joel Osteen, you know, in, and you've got 30,000 people a week, you know, how do you ever manage that? I mean, the only way you could begin to manage that is to take seriously Jesus's words, I think, which is about, you know, those who seek to save their lives will lose it. And those who lose their lives for my sake will save it and learn to let go and walk away. But you know, how could it, how hard would that be? I mean, you know, we. it's the same with novelists. You know, I want my novel to sell tons of books. Of course I do, you know, but that could also have a terrible effect on me. <laughs> start believing all sorts of rubbish about me. I mean, thank God I've got a family who just cut me down to size constantly. And actually a congregation who just say, oh, you know, Rachel, oh, you know, people think you're this fantastic theologian, but then they just sort of t- start talking to me about their... Their 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 uh, knee replacements, you know. um, They start, (laughs) (laughs) you know, they start to say, you know, look at the ulcer on my leg, and I'm thinking, oh gosh, you know, this is really humbling. So it's actually being in in the warp and weft of life.
0: Okay, just to help out, I'm gonna stop complimenting you for the rest of this time. All right.
1: (laughs) Oh no, you can't. The thing is, is, and you gotta remember, I am British, and you know, we we really struggle with the whole compliment thing. You know, it's sort of it's. uh, I'm so envious of my American friends who are just really confident about... You know, if somebody says, oh, that's great, or your house is lovely, or whatever, people just say, yeah, it is. And, you know, if you're a Brit, you sort of go oh no no so please don't don't i'm embarrassed now Stop please don't please don't Um.
0: (laughs) i am watching bake off right now the new season and that's actually something that really cracks me up on there is when the judges give critiques they can be saying the most negative thing and the person just takes it and they're like yeah okay (laughs) <laughs> it just really, really cracks. Me. I mean, like they could say, "Like this is the worst cake that I have ever tasted in my entire life," and the person's response is going to be, "Yeah, you're right." <laughs>
1: So funny <laughs> and that's that's so british i mean that i love bake off so much um but it's so that's so true i mean i'm guessing in the states it would be a slightly different reaction would it um, uh,
0: a lot <laughs> of defensiveness for sure i i it, it's very rare for you to be watching a show in america and the contestant to receive like really harsh negative critiques and then be like yeah i completely agree it's trash <laughs> <laughs> Well, and who knows that kind of mentality could be rooted in some ritual work that you do yourself, which is something I wanted to ask you about. Obviously, ritual is one of, if not the major through line of the book. And I would love to learn what rituals or practices that you gravitate toward in your search for the divine. (laughs)
1: Yeah well can I just say as it just as an aside um I mean it's worth saying that um you know the the some of the rituals and practices in the gospel of Eve are um pretty out there I think compared to you know many religions and uh, or many people's religious practices and when um when I first wrote it and um uh, my agent got got his assistant to read it and she read it and thought it was very good and then she said and and do you do that You know, do you do that? And it's like, is this... She thought it was so real that, you know, all of this stuff this self-disciplining stuff which does happen of course um but just to say that's not me that's not my thing you know um
0: <laughs> i was assuming not that would be a very different conversation be, I, think. Yeah.
1: I mean you know whatever gets people through the night and all of that but no it's not me not me um i mean for me i mean i'm just as I said, i'm very boring in the sense that i you know i have my daily ritual of prayer um in the church of england we have something called the daily office which is essentially a set prayer that you can say morning and evening and last thing at night. And that's what holds me um, and has, I mean, during lockdown, the very worst of lockdown when, I mean, because I, I, I'm in a higher risk category, so I was basically locked up for three months. Um, couldn't go out, just had food delivered to me. Um, I really discovered the power of that same thing Every day, that ritual, that repetition, and that really matters to me. I mean, I'm also I'm a big, um, uh, how do I? I was going to say a big fan of the mass of the Eucharist. Um, you know that sounds like really it's like hey, you know you're great, you're so great. <laughs> uh, um, the Eucharist. Um, but you know it's one of those things that absolutely sustains me, receiving the bread and wine. Um, that ritual is just is, is a ritual meal, but it's a real meal too. But it's also worth saying that that I'm not one of those people who thinks there's religion over here and then there's the world over here, or there's the sacred over here and then everything else is fallen. I'm someone who thinks the world is charged with divine power and beauty and energy, and I'm as you know I can find sustenance in watching Bake Off, you know, to make that my weekly ritual, or, you know, The Crown season four will be coming out, uh, I'm danger of turning this into an advert for for a well-known streaming um, uh, organisation, but it's going to be coming out in a couple of weeks, and, you know, I've been re-watching the previous seasons, and that's That sort of ritual thing. I watched uh, Knives Out again last night, which is the um, murder mystery film that came out, uh, Rian Rian Johnson, that came out at the end of last year. And I I love that as a repeated ritual. Um, I'm very visual. I grew up in a very sort of movie and TV culture. And so that matters to me too.
0: You just labelled yourself as boring, but I definitely do not consider you boring at all. And I am curious, for anyone who has felt othered yet has also felt called to serve within a church or religious group, whether it be Catholic or anything else, from your perspective as one of the first transgender priests to be ordained in the Church of England and all the obstacles that came with that— what advice do you have for someone who feels called to serve within a religion that might also feel like an outsider?
1: Um, thank you. Um, to, to be completely um, yourself, but also, and this sounds really paradoxical, but to be really cautious as well. Um, I mean, what I mean by that is that if God calls, if God comes calling if God comes and makes the invitation, then I think you need to take that seriously. And here's the amazing thing. This is the really exciting thing. The God who calls or the God who invites is not calling us to be other than we are. God is calling us in the fullness of ourselves as LGBTQIA people. So it's not that, oh, God's saying, I want you to be a priest, I want you to be a rabbi, I want you to be an imam or whatever, um, but you will have to shut down, ignore and hive off the LGBT bit of yourself. God makes that call on you completely, and that is incredible and exciting. And hold on to that, really hold on to that, because, and this is the tough bit, this is the bit about being cautious. Because there are people out there who will say, OK, but who will say, mm, maybe you are called, maybe we'd like you to serve, but please turn down the volume on that. Or please ignore the truth of yourself um, because we find it icky or scary or we think deep down that God doesn't approve. Um and, and, you know, those of us who are othered by the church, we have to be really, really clear sighted about the fact that there will be people, sometimes good people, lovely people who want to be affirming, who at an almost unconscious level can't fully accept us for who we are. So then, you see, I mean, just to, to to finish off that curve, that arc... Some people then say to me, well, okay, Rachel, why do you stay? Why don't you just leave? And I have to say, you know, <laughs> I, I, there really a week goes by without me thinking, okay, time for me to, you know, look at something else. Um, but the reason I stay is, for mm-hmm. me at least, that I found that the number of people who are genuinely loving and affirming and see me for me and people like me for ourselves has grown. And it grows because of relationship and it grows because we're there and we're in that setting. And I I don't, gosh, I don't want to be a martyr. Absolutely not. And I, you know, I'm certainly not some sort of, you know, role model or anything like that. But being here, I've seen the change. And, you know, my first sense of calling came back in 1996 You know, which is, gosh, this is over 20 years ago ago now. And I've seen the shift. I've seen how the church has grown. And it's partly because people like me have said we'll stick around. But it is costly. I just hope it's getting better. I just hope it's getting better and it is easier because, for want of a better word, pioneers like me have broke some ground and opened up the paths.
0: I also think those ideas are not only good for someone wanting to serve, but also for anyone who wants to attend, anyone who wants to be a part of a religion or group. And yes, because of people like you, there are groups and communities now that are not just welcoming, but affirming, which is what everyone should be striving for. And so if you are interested and you want to, either serve or you want to attend, just do your research and, and find a place that will uplift, affirm, and accept you just as you are if you do feel called to attend or serve. And speaking of calling, that word is a, is a very interesting word and it means a little something different to everyone. What does that mean to you? What does it mean to be called to do something?
1: I think in my own case, it it's a uh, it's like an itch. It's a, it's an insistence. It's a, a sense of invitation that won't go away. I mean, I you know. <sighs> I want to be clear here. For some people, they very much have a sense of God speaking to them and saying, you know, I want you to look at this ministry. But when I say that, I want to hedge it immediately. When I say God speaking to them, I'm not necessarily thinking of, you know, there's a voice out of heaven in this sort of booming um, Voice, um, you know, in in the UK it would be Brian Blessed. Um, I don't know who you'd have in the the state, but you know, so, I Rachel, come and follow me, and all of that. It's,
0: <laughs> Morgan it's, Freeman, it's, you know,
1: Morgan Freeman. You know, that's yeah. It. yeah. I mean, you know, he's he's God, isn't he? In 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 US context, yeah. Um, it's not that's that's not what I mean. I mean, often that voice comes in such a way that it's, it's in the silence. It's, it's just a nudge. And it's only afterwards that you see it. Uh, you know, my sense of vocation emerged pretty soon after I became a Christian in my mid-twenties. And just a sense of, oh, I, I I want to try that out. I want to look closer. And I, I was really suspicious of it, Tyler, because, you know, I'm quite theatrical at heart. Um, I want to be on a stage. And I, I thought, oh, is it just that I want to be at the front? Well... You know, God can work with that. You know, if it is just wanting to be at the front, then you're probably in danger of turning into one of those terrifying mega church pastors, you know. uh, know, I mean, you know, I feel like I'm having a go at these poor... But folks, but then again, you know, I I've seen Greenleaf and you know um, the what is it the 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 gemstones thing on on um, on Amazon. You know, I've seen these shows where they live in big mansions, so we should. They're, yeah. they're doing just fine. They're doing just fine. They don't don't pity them too much, but but if you know someone has a sense of you know they're in church and they see a priest presiding at the holy table and they think, oh, I I would quite like to be there. That's got to be worth investigating. And that's what call means. It's making the investigation. It's daring to look closer and accepting that it might not run quite as you expect, because sometimes it's in the testing of that that you then discover that you're called to something else entirely.
0: That is so beautiful. Well, Rachel... If people feel called (laughs) to read your book, find you and keep up with all the amazing work that you're doing... Where can they do so?
1: Oh, this is the bit, you see, this is the bit that us Brits are terrible at. You know, oh, gosh, oh, gosh, what should I, yeah, what should I say at this point? (laughs) Um, You know, it's so tempting to say, oh, don't, no, don't worry. You don't need to read anything by me. It's all fine. I I mean, I, I, if, if somebody wants to be in touch with me and I'm, I'm always happy for people to reach out, um, uh, www.rachelman.co.uk is my website. Um, The Gospel of Eve is available all over, you know, from the um, the the monolithic website named after a very big rainforest, um, you know, uh, (laughs) through to um, your local store. Um, They should be able to get hold of it. But yeah, go to my website um, and you can find out more there about all of the things that I get up to.
0: All your links will be in the show notes. So everyone, please do check them out. Rachel, you are just so delightful. It was really wonderful chatting with you. I so appreciate all that you're doing. And I'm so excited for you to experience your book release. Congratulations again. And just thank you for this conversation. It was truly wonderful.
1: Well, it's been a great honour, Tyler. And um, just to say that we uh, all over here on the other side of the pond will be keeping everyone in the States in mind and, you know, the, the days, weeks and months to come. We need the positive vibes. <laughs> <laughs> well, keep us in mind too. I mean, we're not doing so terribly well, actually. Um,
0: so <laughs> <laughs> we'll just hold each other's hands as we're sinking.
1: Amen. To that. Thank you so much. Thank you, Rachel.
0: I thoroughly enjoyed talking with Rachel. We got into some really interesting topics, and I found her viewpoints super fascinating and Damn, she's got some good quotes from this discussion. Here are my main takeaways. Number one. Sometimes inspiration can be found in what we feel we cannot do. Rachel told herself she couldn't write a novel, even though she's written 11 nonfiction books, but she decided to prove herself wrong. We all have those voices inside telling us we cannot do something, but if it's something that you want, fucking prove yourself wrong. Number two. Sometimes in the routines, in the straight lines, is where we can discover the strangeness, the uniqueness of others and ourselves. Number three. Where the hell is the Gospel of Eve? I want it to still be out there somewhere in the world so badly. Number four. Social justice is a face of love. If the church isn't involved in the search for social justice, then it's lost its way. Number five, a calling can feel like an itch, an invitation, an insistence. And answering a calling is making the investigation. It's daring to look closer. If you have a sense of a calling, investigate it, knowing you might discover something amazing and new about yourself altogether. I have posted links in the show notes for Rachel, her book, and all her glorious work. Please do check her out. And as always, please do reach out to me. I adore hearing from you. Tell me about any calling that you've experienced, where you're at on your spiritual journey, or just say hey. You can reach me at the email in the show notes or DM me on social media. At have a blessed gay on all the platforms. However, if you are struggling spiritually or emotionally and need help right this second, I always post helplines in the show notes. So do not hesitate to reach out to one of them if you need to. Wherever you are and however you're feeling, just remember this: you are special, you are purposeful, and you are fucking beautiful. Have a blessed day, y'all.